I'm Sarah Elizabeth Smith, and this is the Theosophia Podcast, a platform for women's voices in theology. You can find us on all the social media outlets and anywhere you listen to podcasts. Also check out our Patreon page and consider supporting this Labor of Love podcast for women's empowerment. So before we get to today's lovely conversation, I wanted to share two things from my week. First, y'all, I saw the Phantom of the Opera sequel, Love Never Dies. I don't know if any of you guys are into, you know, plays or drama or the theater, but the plot twists in this thing were insane. Like, I was freaking out the entire thing. I'm not kidding. My cousins and I went, and it was it was crazy. We were on the edge of our seats the whole time. Um, now, I admit, it's not as good as The Phantom of the Opera, the original, but it does keep you on your toes the whole time, and the storyline is really entertaining and gripping, but the story was a little... It was a little bit dramatic, uh, probably just to try to top the Phantom of the Opera, but I, I really thoroughly enjoyed it. And also, I guess I haven't seen The Phantom in several years because I just realized how messed up the guy is. He He's struggling with mental illness, no doubt. The man is suffering, he's in pain, and he's really manipulative, and he needs some help. Anyways, I highly recommend it if it's playing in your town and... And again, if you like theatrical performances, it was really beautiful and, and really wonderfully performed by the cast. Lastly, I wanted to shout out to all my academic theology friends. I am missing AAR, the American Academy of Religion conference this year. For those of you who don't know what on earth that is, it's the biggest theology and biblical studies conference in the world. It happens once a year, the weekend before Thanksgiving, and several thousand scholars and academics come from all over the world to share and learn from one another. It's kind of like a theologian's utopian dream of academic and intellectual bliss. So I'm really sad. I'm super sad I'm missing it. Um, I'm having like intellectual and social fear of missing out as I'm grading freshman ethics papers. And I'm, I'm loving being a high school teacher, but for real, I'm going to miss y'all dearly. And I hope y'all have an awesome week nerding out over all the theological and biblical goodness possible. Okay, y'all, this week I had the pleasure to speak to a dear friend and colleague of mine, the Reverend Anita Peebles. Reverend Anita hails from the state of Michigan, and I'm really glad she went to Oberlin College and not that other awful school up there that has similar colors to Notre Dame so we can actually be friends. Um, I'm just messing with you, Anita. But Anita immediately went to Vanderbilt after undergrad to complete her Master of Divinity degree at Vanderbilt University and was ordained in the Alliance of Baptist Tradition in Nashville, Tennessee at Glendale Baptist Church. From there, Anita was called to serve as the Associate Pastor for Next Generation Ministries at Seattle First Baptist Church. So Anita and I overlapped a year at Vandy, and I'm so glad we did. Y'all, she's one of those people when you meet her, you're like, dang, that girl has the most inviting, kind, and generous spirit I've ever met. She's got this infectious smile and such a warm soul. I knew right away that this woman was made for ministry. She's got that that priestly X factor. She truly loves people and it shows. Y'all, here's Reverend Anita Peebles and her story. I hope you enjoy.
Well, Anita, let's start talking about your background and where you're from. Um, talk to me, yeah, about where you're from, your religious, spiritual background. That'd be a good place to start. Yeah. Um, so I grew up in the middle of the Lower Peninsula in Michigan. Um, my mom's family is pretty religious. They're from like all central Illinois. Um, my dad's family is not religious at all, like much more um, scientific leaning and, you know, reason based. Um, but my mom and dad um, kind of allowed me to grow up in the Methodist church. Um, and we were in a fairly like moderate to conservative Methodist church um, in Eaton Rapids, Michigan. And, um, and it was really there that I, you know, learned about, learned about Jesus and um, started really f- figuring out that I had a passion for being in church. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, that was a little weird when I got to be like 12 or 13 and I thought I was too cool to be going to church with my mom <laughs> and I didn't really want to be involved in anything um, that was there and I was a little bit shy and so I didn't want to be part of the youth group and um, and so I would either sit in church um, in the adult service with my mom and like sing all the old hymns and listen to the sermon um, or I would go and help out with the little kids Sunday school, um, the three and four year old Sunday school. And that was taught by Sunday school teachers who were my Sunday school teachers when I was three or four years old. And, um, they just needed somebody who could like get down on the ground and play with the little kids. And here I'm this teenager. Um, and it really feels to me like that's, that's when, um, I like, you know, got saved if we were going to use that language. Um, but the children really are what kept me in, in church at the time in my teenage years when I was like, well, my dad doesn't go to church and like, this is kind of boring. Um, and the children were really, you know, they were relying on me to show up in church every Sunday. Hmm. Um, and you know, be the donkey that took Mary and (laughs) Joseph to, uh, to Bethlehem. And, um, yeah, it was, uh, it was really fun working with the children. And, um, and so like working with children has been a, has been a huge part of my life and a part of my journey. Um, I was also raised with, um, with a babysitter who was just, uh, well, she self-identifies as a hippie and she's one of the (laughs) most important people in my life. Um, And she was just like into all sorts of like creation spirituality and um, had pictures of the goddess everywhere in her house. And like, you know, we did tie dye and we gardened and we explored the forest and like pretended that there were fairies everywhere. And like, we just, we just really explored nature and spirituality in a different way. Like ever since I was like four or five, Mm -hmm. um, and so we had a really, we just had a really fun time, like, you know, asking wonder questions and being in awe at the things that are growing in the world and, um, and doing art together and dancing whenever we felt like it. And mm-hmm. um, so there was a lot of really embodied, really, mm-hmm. really earthy um, beginnings to that side of spirituality as well. Um, 
and my dad and my dad's family, like they always took me camping. Um, Mm -hmm. Michigan is gorgeous. And so we went to Lake Michigan. We went to the beaches. We went to the forests in the upper peninsula, um, to Lake Superior. Like we, we did a lot of camping and hiking and, um, and boating, you know, kayaking and sailing. Um, and so I was always really, really drawn to water specifically. And, um, I was always told that we left a place better than we found it. And Mm -hmm. we, you know, though it might be fun to collect rocks on the beach, you know, we're going to leave them there because it's important to the ecosystem. And so there's this really, really like whole system consideration. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my grandpa was an ecologist and a zoologist. So like <laughs> that was, um, that was probably like part of what he felt like he had to, had to do, but it was always, we always were considering, um, you know, the, the impact on, on the earth to our footsteps and where we set up camp and where we were eating and, um, and all of those little pieces were like, well, how are people going to find this after us? And, you know, are the animals going to be disturbed by us being here? And are we allowing the native plants to grow and all sorts of things like that? Um, so there's a lot of, a lot of nature, um, in, in the beginnings of my spiritual, awakening, um, or like coming to be. And, um, and I really, I really try to honor that. Um, now I like, I like gardening. Um, it's a little bit harder when I just have a tiny balcony in Seattle, but I've got some flowers, uh, and I've got some indoor plants, so I'm making do. Um, but being close to nature and having that wonder at growing things, um, has always been a pathway for me to think about God and to explore you know, the circle of life and Mm -hmm. what, um, what is actually being resurrected in the world. Mm -hmm. Um, that's something that I think about when I garden. Yeah. Uh, so beautiful, Anita. I love that about your, your spiritual background, both things that children is what kind of drew you to the church or kept you there. That's just so interesting to me because you know, I teach little kids all the time because I'm a substitute teacher right now. And I just don't have that energy. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) if I was a little teenager, but I feel like I was so focused on myself. uh, It's hard to want to go hang out with kids. So that's really cool. Like you kind of had that servant attitude and like motherly instincts at such a young age and then being connected Mm -hmm. to nature. Um, Man, like, I feel like that's missed on our youth a lot these days. Unless you grow up in a rural area or parents who are super into outdoors, like, I can't get my uncle to take me fishing. You know what I mean? Like, it's so Mm -hmm. hard, even living in, like, really close to rural areas here in Oklahoma. I have to really go out of my way and figure out, you know, friends who have land or Mm -hmm. stuff like that to even get out in it. Um, because our lives are so consumed in the city or, you know, doing things around the concrete jungle as it were. Um, so that's, but what a rich place to find spirituality and encountering the holy in nature and with children. I mean, duh. Yeah. It it feels like a, like a duh to me. Um, and 
and I, um, I got to put those two, uh, those two passions together for a while when I was working for this organization called Plant the Seed in Nashville. Um, and we did garden education with children and just every day was like, uh, at a preschool looking at radish seeds and wondering like, how big will they grow? And when will, when will they come up out of the ground and how do we pick them and how will we cook them? Mm -hmm. And just, you know, there's nothing more beautiful, I think, than like a four-year-old picking a carrot and being like, oh my gosh, there's so much underground. Like, Mm -hmm. and then I'm going to eat this orange thing that I just pulled up. Um, it's just, it's just so cool. And, um, and really filled with awe, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that like, I think adults miss out on all the time. Oh, yeah. Cause you just go to the store and those carrots are like chopped and rinsed and you don't even have a care in the world or a thought to where they came from or whose hand hands actually picked them. Right. Yeah. And like baby carrots don't even look like real carrots. Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're like all shaved down, you know, yeah. and there's like such, such waste too. Right. Like, mm-hmm. um, from, from the parts that are taken off that carrot. It's really sad. I know. I always wonder yeah. that about the baby carrots. Mm-hmm. Like, where's the other part of the carrot? Who knows? <laughs> I hope they give them to a horse or something somewhere. Yeah. But let's talk about uh, your call to ministry. How have you felt that call? What's that been like for you? Uh, now, looking back, I think that a lot of the call like really started when I was working with kids as a mm-hmm. teenager um, and realizing like through my angsty 13 year old self that, um, that like maybe it's not as complicated, like, like religion or God isn't as complicated as I was trying to make it. But like just thinking about, you know, God loves you and Jesus loves you is like actually the most important thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but really like I, um, I started being more serious about my faith um, as a teenager. And then I, I joined a Bible study um, that was actually run by the Baptist pastor in town. Um, but all my, all my cool girlfriends were going and it met at a coffee shop and that felt like very grown up. And so we did oh, that, man. um, like my junior and senior year of high school. Um, and then I was looking at colleges and was just like told by a lot of people in my small town and at my church and in the Bible study, like, you know, if you go to Oberlin college, which was my top choice where I, um, ultimately went to undergrad. Um, and it's like a very liberal progressive school, um, and, and known for being a little bit out there. Um, if you go to Oberlin, like you're going to lose your faith and you're going to be one of those people who, um, goes to a liberal school and decides that they don't want to be a Christian anymore. And like turns into a horrible atheist or something. Mm -hmm. And, and I was just like, I think that you're too worried about that. Like, don't, (laughs) don't freak out everyone. Like I'm going to do my thing and I'm going to find where I fit in. And, um, so with those voices echoing in my head, I went to the resource fair on the very first day of college Mm -hmm. and I went up to the religious and spiritual life table. Mm -hmm. Um, and I like immediately made connections because I was like, I'm going to prove those people wrong. Like I know my, I know myself and, Mm -hmm. and I'm a Christian and like, that's a thing that I'm going to do. And, um, and I like immediately got involved with this amazing group, um, 
that was run by two path, two local pastors. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was an ecumenical group and oh, we man. like got together to eat and to like talk about theology and to talk about justice issues in the world and like really integrate all of the questions that we were having as, you know, as undergrads, um, to our faith and explore like what, you know, what we actually mean by sin and Mm. how do people think about sexuality in like many different ways and like to do Bible studies that were not inherently from a conservative point of view. Mm. Um, and it was the real, really the first time that I was able to voice my doubt and ask questions. Right. And then some folks in that group um, told me that I should take religion classes and I and Bible classes. And I was just like totally scared because I was like, what if I find something that like disproves my faith? Mm. And what if I read something in the Bible and it like didn't happen? And I just, I just <clears throat> can't deal with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was really scared. Um, but two of my really good friends um, got me to take a theology class and and it was really um, just a just a pathway into having deeper faith and to engaging my mind mm-hmm. in my faith, which um, wasn't completely open to me growing up. Um, and that was um, that just like made all the difference. So then I got it deeper into religion, uh, into studying religion, and um, along that same time in undergrad, like friends of mine, and then the two pastors who ran our our ecumenical group, they just started like calling out these gifts in me. And um, for a long time, I've been somebody that people go to when they have a problem or when they just need to like talk something out or Mm -hmm. if they're scared going to the doctor or like all these different, all these different things um, people would bring to me and, and I would listen and I was just like, Oh, I'm just a good listener. I'm a good Mm -hmm. friend. All right. Um, but these these folks in my life at that time in undergrad like were telling me that that was a pastoral gift and that was ministry and i think i've got a little bit of a stubborn streak that uh maybe i try to hide um mm-hmm. my best friends will say that i don't really hide it at all but um but i was really stubborn and so it it was a few years with like people just like constantly saying like that was really pastoral or like this is a gift of ministry listening and, um, and like calm presence and all of these different words that I recognize now, um, as being, being part of my ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, and then finally I was, I just kind of got to a point where all of these, all of these moments were kind of like lining up, like feeling like signs, um, one after another. And I was meeting more women in ministry, which was also a new thing to me. Mm-hmm. And I went to, a women in leadership conference that was actually held by the Mennonite church. And I, I just was meeting all these women and people were calling out these gifts. And after a little while of that, I, I was just like, okay, I think I see what's going on here. <laughs> I need to listen to this more. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I started seeking out um, people kind of like as uh, as spiritual friends um, to kind of go with me on that journey of figuring mm-hmm. out what that means. Um, and we would talk about things and not shy away from 
the doubts and questions and theology discussions. Um, and so that's, that's more of how I recognize my call. Um, and then I started preaching and, um, that was the, the spring that I graduated from college that I preached my first sermon Mm -hmm. and it was just like, it was, it was a really amazing moment and I was really nervous and looking back on the sermon, it wasn't really a great sermon at all. (laughs) Um, But, uh, but having that space to, to preach as a young woman and, um, and have really like the word that I felt I needed to share with a community, Mm -hmm. um, that was, that was not just from me, but, um, from, you know, the great big, whatever, um, that was, that was a really incredible moment. And after I preached that first sermon, I just like sat down in the pew and like burst into tears, um, because something just like, it's like a puzzle piece or like when a lock like clicks into the right place. And I was just like, this is it. Right. This is it. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. So what, what has the uh, ordination process been like in your church and explain to folks which Baptist tradition you're in and what, what they're about? Yeah. Um, so, uh, so I attended, uh, an Alliance of Baptist affiliated congregation in Nashville and, um, the Alliance of Baptists are, um, I think a really exciting group, um, within American Protestantism and within Baptist life. Um, we're, uh, open and affirming, um, congregations across the board. There's about 150 congregations total, um, and more congregations that are kind of, um, more loosely affiliated with the Alliance. Um, the Alliance came out of the, um, the separation from the Southern Baptist convention in the late eighties. Um, when the, when the fundamentalists were taking over in the Southern Baptist convention and the Alliance were the folks who, um, who said, this is not what it means to be Baptist. Um, this is not what it means to, you know, have the, have the freedom of local autonomy and to recognize everyone's religious liberty and the ability to read the Bible by yourself. Um, and make your own ideas about it. Uh, there was there was a lot more legalism going on in the Southern Baptist, and the Alliance said, "Nope, we're just we're going to do a different thing." So the Alliance is mostly um, in the Southeast, um, kind of where the where the Southern Baptists were were strongest. Right. Um, but uh, but they are spreading um, they are spreading farther across the United States, and we have. Um, affiliated denominations in in Canada and um, and Cuba and uh, I think it's a really exciting group. Everybody, look them up. Yeah, I think you're my first Alliance uh, Baptist on the podcast. Cool. I think everyone else has been American or some other variation. Yeah, and now I'm working in an American Baptist church, and so. Um, I have to go through the process of, of having my ordination recognized within the American Baptist oh, okay. church. Okay. Yeah. Um, but the, the ordination process in our church, um, in Nashville and the Alliance church, um, was, uh, was just a lot of conversation and journeying with. And so 
I got matched up with a, um, with a group of, I think about six or seven people who are the ordination committee. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we just got together every month and sometimes they would send me questions and sometimes we would just go and sit down and they'd say, well, what are you thinking about? Um, they, they would talk to my pastors who were mentors of mine. Um, they would ask me questions, you know, trying to see my pastoral care paper from, from school. Um, and really just joining me with this exploration of what it really would mean to be in ministry and, um, and to decide like if ordination is the right thing. Uh, Cause a lot of people who are called are not ordained and they, um, and they go, into ministry in a, in a wide variety of ways and ordination isn't for everyone. Um, and so this group went with me and we decided that that is something that, um, that is a step that I, uh, felt called to take and that the church felt called to take. Um, and so in Baptist life, we, uh, we place a lot of, a lot of store in local autonomy. And so one church's ordination council and, um, and pathway is going to be different from the next churches. And so, um, so each community gets to decide and, um, and that path of, uh, of, you know, accompaniment, um, through the ordination journey, um, that was how we decided to do it at our congregation. Um, and a lot of what came out of those conversations was, was them, trying to, uh, trying to get me to be less stubborn about, um, about like my fears and anxieties, you know, um, and, and saying like, yes, it is a scary thing to, um, to be called by God to ministry in a church. Yes. Church people are terrifying, (laughs) you know, um, and they're really frustrating and it's hard. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had all these doubts and I was just like, well, what if I can't do it? And what if I, mm-hmm. you know, like, what am I supposed to do if they get mad? And like all of these other questions that are, you know, inevitable because people are people. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're just like, all of these questions, you know, are really the further proof that, that you should go and, and be ordained and we want to ordain you. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was, um, it was just a really, a, a really good time uh, hanging out with my ordination committee. I mean, it was, it was hard and it was deep and it was really emotional. Um, and I had to listen while people said nice things about me. Um, and while people like, again, like continued to call out those gifts and, and that's all, that's been really hard for me, um, to, to receive that. Um, and where they challenged me and asked me questions about what would I do if such and such thing happened in my congregation. Um, and it was just a really beautiful process. And I'm just so grateful that um, those particular people on the committee were there because um, they've all really, really given me um, space to, to figure out what ministry means to me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then you know, talk to the congregation and they decided to say yes to my ordination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's cool. I'm proud of you. It's freaking awesome. Thank you. So awesome. How old are you, Anita? I'm 26. You're a babe. 
Yeah, a wee babe. (laughs) (laughs) That's so cool. Yeah, a lot of those questions were like, am I too young? Like, are people not going to respect me? Am I not going to respect myself? Like, all of those things. Like, do I know anything worth sharing? Um, And the ordination committee would kind of like, you know, at times, uh, being a little bit snarky, they would like maybe roll their eyes a little bit and be like, Anita, like, chill out. <laughs> like, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna do this. That is a tough thing, though, as young people called to ministry. I mean, I feel like I'm kind of feeling a call later in life. Um, I don't know a ton of Episcopalians who go straight from okay, maybe my priest, my two priests did, went straight from undergrad to divinity school, I think. But I feel it's, it's rare in the Episcopal Church to hear that. But even so, they did young people stuff like church plant, you know, and like stuff mm-hmm. you need like a bang load of energy and time for. Um, and so there's all sorts, like you said, different ways of doing ministry, um, no matter your age or whoever you are. So. Mm-hmm yeah, girl, you're called, you can do this stuff. What, yeah. what's, what's been important to you about being a woman in ministry, ordained ministry? Well, I didn't see women growing up. Um, it, I, I say that it wasn't even something that I knew I didn't know <laughs> that women could mm-hmm that women could be pastors. Um, though the United Methodist church has been ordaining women for a very long time. Mm -hmm. I, I just didn't see any. Mm -hmm. Um, and the women in my church, um, growing up were Sunday school teachers. Um, and we did have a a lay minister, but she never preached. Um, she would pray and she has absolutely beautiful prayers. Um, she just retired last year. Um, and, uh, it just wasn't something, something that I thought about at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and since I didn't, you know, I didn't go into, into education, um, into undergrad education, like thinking that I was going to study religion so that I could go into ministry. Like it just wasn't even on my radar at all. Um, until one of the, one of the pastors, um, in my ecumenical group, like she's a woman, it was a, it was a husband and wife couple who are running that group. And, um, and then like, I just began to see more women and then friends of mine who are women in the ecumenical group, um, were talking about their calls to ministry. Um, so a lot of why I feel it's important is because, you know, growing up as like somebody born in 1991, um, and, and like in a, in a fairly, um, politically liberal family and, um, with a, um, with like parents who are, who are very open to, um, you know, to more fluid gender roles. Um, mm-hmm. I, it wasn't something I was exposed to at all. And, and there are kids today who don't know that women can be, um, can be in ministry. And so maybe part of it, why it's important to me is like, just because it's contrarian to like mm-hmm. what people see. Um, maybe there's that stubborn streak coming out and be like, yeah, like, girls can do this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and also like, um, the women in the Bible are incredible. Mm-hmm. And, um, I forget who it is that 
that talks about um, the only the only thing that will change the world is is women telling the truth about their lives. Um, but I think that that's something that the women in the Bible um, were doing, you know, through the though they're covered their stories and their names and their histories um, and their legacies in some ways have been covered up by like the, the men who are writing mm-hmm. the stories and transmitting those stories. But, but there are pieces that show through of like women who have deep faith and women who call God by name and mm-hmm. women who are just like so gifted and, and blessed for ministry. And, mm-hmm. um, and I just want to, I want to lift them up and, mm-hmm. you know, do them, do them justice in some way by encouraging other women to be in ministry and saying like, yes, like we were there from the beginning Hell yeah! and, and we have something to give and, mm-hmm. and it's different from what male ministers give. Um, you know, not that, not that all male ministers are one way and all female ministers are another way mm-hmm. um, because everybody's different and everyone, every minister has different gifts Um, but I really think that there are things that women have to share. I mean, we're seeing that right now in, um, in politics, of course, um, Mm -hmm. with like today in 2018, how women's voices are still being silenced Mm -hmm. and, um, survivors of any gender are being silenced, Mm -hmm. um, from talking about harassment and assault. Um, Mm -hmm. and yeah. And, and women ministers, have something to say as well. And we have been, we have been silenced, um, by the church, um, Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah. Um, I think too, just even like if there are like the most stark difference, I think between men and women is our bodies, if nothing else, just like the word coming out of a woman's body, like just the act of preaching and ministering in a female body. Um, which is like you said, it's just not, hasn't been the norm for a long time, even though women have been doing this for a long time, it's just not been in the public is obvious. Um, Mm -hmm. And women haven't been affirmed or lifted up in these roles for very long. Um, To me, that's what makes me the just, that's the only thing that really makes me different is just that you're seeing obviously a a feminine female. (laughs) talk about the good word. Um, and sure that might sound a little different or come out at a different perspective because of our lived experiences are different. Right. Um, and that would be the next thing that might be mm-hmm. significantly different, but that's just cause we're automatically marginalized. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's just, it's a cool time to be doing this work. Um, like you said, just to lift other women up. Mm-hmm. It's huge. And I think that, you know, that part of, part of what people miss when, when women are not allowed to be in ministry and not allowed to speak about God and to, and to teach other people, um, like you're just missing out on a, on a whole world of part of God's creation, yes, you know, yes. speaking, speaking about the creator and, mm-hmm. um, and like revelation comes in really unlikely places. Mm-hmm. Um, like God has, God has shown us that in a lot of different ways and in the prophets and, um, 
and like God is many things mm-hmm. and ministers can be many things. Mm-hmm. And like, maybe that's a little bit simplistic, but like it, I know that it, it makes a difference to mm-hmm. young girls who are like, who can see a woman, um, see a woman's body in, in the pulpit mm-hmm. and, um, and see somebody who looks like them. Like we know representation matters. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, representing all of <clears throat> the diversity of God's creation matters and who are we to limit, to limit God and to limit what, what revelations we can, we can find um, about God. Like just because somebody looks a certain way or they have a certain type of body. Amen. Thanks again, Anita, for sharing your story with our community. You're awesome, and you're such a beautiful human, my friend. Join us next week, y'all, as Anita and I discuss her work on teaching children atonement theories. It's really, really good. And as always, please follow us on all the social media outlets and consider donating to the Theosophia Patreon page. We'll see y'all next week for round two with Reverend Anita. Peace, y'all.